0: Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the Internet, we expect to be able to send money over the Internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters.
1: Hey, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode one, two, three. I'm your first host, Marcello.
2: And I'm host number two, D. Host number
3: three, Corey. What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there?
1: And the Hit Internet. you guys with our first uh, midweek episode in about a month. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, it's it been one. a while.
3: Well, as I realize I can't yeah. with what's going on with the Equivic guys. Nathan's putting
2: in work. Is it too late to go back retrospectively and say it's just for registering real estate, not for the transfer of real estate? Well, I guess not, because you just did it. <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. I hope you hear it now. But, um, yeah, it's always fun talking with Nathan and his crew. Uh, Marina Resnick, she uh, keeps things on lock when it comes to real estate and putting it on a blockchain. So... Now we're moving on to today's episode. Do we need to do ads? Or should, can we just start talking and then do ads?
1: Uh, let me let me knock one out. Um, All right. Actually, yeah, let's knock one out. Let me tell you about uh, escrowmybits.com. Uh, it's fast. It's super easy. and It only takes three steps. All you have to do, our listeners, is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Seller ships the item, buyer checks the goods, and releases the funds. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow on a lock exchange rate. So if you haven't used escrow, you've got to use this company. If they're really good. They're only going to charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all transactions and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. Uh, you know I can't speak for Corey and D, but I think we all want there to no longer be any excuses on why not to use escrow. So start that process, go to that website. Sign up for that newsletter. Stay Why can't you date. speak
3: for Read us? It. You've been speaking us, been speaking for us for like two years, so now you can't speak for us?
1: <laughs> just try to be thoughtful.
3: He's to be changing thoughtful. his ways. Jello is changing his ways. my Bits ways.
2: I, just, I love how he said, I can't speak for you, and then I'm going to immediately speak for you. No, <laughs> he said, "He said I
1: feel. No, he said, we feel. I feel, yeah, I shouldn't, <laughs> but... We weren't there for no longer being excuses. So. Hell yeah. No
2: excuses. Escrow your shit. Oh, sorry. This is your line. My bad.
1: Keep Escrow going. your shit? With escrowmybiz?
2: Dot com. Yep. I can't believe we're
3: still doing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we're going to keep on keeping on because com is a good service. And for you guys that need to deliver things and buy things on the interwebs and don't necessarily want to take like the Amazon route. Uh, you, you need some some uh, a security blanket, use EskermyBits.com. All right. So what's on the docket today?
1: Well, I think a lot of people in our Slack have been voicing. I feel like a lot of people are joining our Slack just to voice their concerns, and then they kind of like disappear. Have you guys been noticing that?
3: I have uh, noticed that. I would say that the conversation has gotten a lot more technical or um, on point to what's currently going on in the space
2: yeah our random channel is is a bucket of random but (laughs) in the in the general channel it is um definitely been a lot of talk about what's going on in the space and obviously bitcoin is consumed with the debate uh bigger blocks or segwit um you know and, and if something came to light this week i was i actually saw it while i was eating breakfast i like Logged on to the slash Bitcoin Reddit slash Bitcoin. It was like ASIC boost, ASIC boost, and like ASIC gate. And I was like, what, the, what is happening right now? And so then when I like read a couple articles and found out, and I'm probably going to be really wrong about this, but apparently Jihan has manufactured ASICs that allow him to get the proof of work done without using that much energy. Or the, the amount of energy everyone else has to use, like is am I right
3: about that? All right, so there's a there's a patent that someone has made that is a, essentially an, a pr- proof of work optimization that takes advantage of a subtle, I wouldn't call it bug, but consequence of the way proof of work was designed, so that you can do some some crypto magic basically and save about thirty percent of the work you would need to do in order to prove that you've done some set of work for proof of work, which is what we rely on miners to do, like to show in order for us to accept their block. So if you, if you're doing this, what I would consider an optimization for the proof of work algorithm, you can solve the proof of work puzzle about 30% faster or with left, with less energy than everyone else, which means you save money. And if you can do, if you can you know, continue to do that, then you have a, a, a heavy advantage on the mining network. And someone, Gregory Maxwell, came out and said that a very large conglomerate is taking advantage of this in a very subtle way that we can't notice. And Segwit is, he claims that Segwit is a proposed solution, which is why it's being blocked. Because if you pass SegWit, they can no longer use this optimization. So they're purposefully spending essentially the money that they're making over everyone else to block SegWit from being passed. Now, I have a few qualms with how I'm not saying whether or not this is true. Gregory Maxwell said he reverse engineered a mining chip to show that this was being done and that we should pass Segwit or something else to essentially block this from happening. And there's a few things that I guess I'd like to talk about that around the subject. One, he provided absolutely zero proof as to reverse engineering a mining ship. He just said that he did it. And if you're going to lay a massive claim in the Bitcoin space, that's not, and try not to appeal to emotions, which is what he's doing right now. By not providing any any proof, then it's hard for me to believe real like good motivations mm-hmm. to what you're doing. It's like oh oh, turns out SegWit is perfect for this. Well, did he know, not
2: but... give some numbers or anything? He didn't no, do anything. Nothing. He just there's
3: nothing. There's there's, a, there's essentially a a bip that says what you know basically how it works. Um, so... but the motivation would be behind it, and that we need to pass SegWit in order to fix it.
2: So given the community that we're in and everyone in this community knows, if you say something, you pretty much have to have some sort of evidence to back up what you're saying. Some sort of numbers, a white paper, something just to say, hey, this information can you know be repeated and you can take a look at it for yourself if you want to. And so since him not doing that, now it's kind of – now it's fishy for both sides, right? Because
1: he's so you're, like – you're saying he's under scrutiny right now. I'm saying he that, needs
2: to be like right? he
3: needs to be under scrutiny like remember when Craig Wright came out and said he's Satoshi and said he's going to move some stuff and he did it in such a way that like everyone was like fuck that you didn't do anything you didn't actually do anything like you would have if you were Satoshi like the amount of scrutiny involved with proving that he was Satoshi with the keys was ridiculously massive and and you know for good purposes Mm-hmm. Around this, no one's saying anything. No one's like, "What do you What do you mean you reverse engineered a chip? How did you do that? Where's your proof?" If you're going to be throwing these types of claims at other people in the space, to say you're taking advantage mm-hmm. of of the network, you need to prove it. And you, there's been no proof. Maybe there is in Blockstream, but like, amongst some of the, the devs, but we haven't seen anything, which is. For an open and public network, you need to see something. Mm-hmm. Also, on top of that, it's like there's there is an argument to be made that doing ASIC boost is just an optimization, and you can't blame someone for using optimizations to benefit themselves.
2: Yeah, like I that's was just going to ask that question. Like, if I feel like they're mad at him because he got a better pickaxe, it's like, dude, like just because you can't make the pickaxes like I do, yours break off after three months of hacking in the mines, and mine keep on going, and they pickaxe better. Like to me, I was just like, oh, good for Jihan. He made a he made a chip that's that's optimized. That that and he's winning now. Good for him. But um, then to that's, to that's find the point, out, like of
3: being a competitive miner is to do yeah, the best you can and to get the best hardware you can or whatever advantage you can because that's how the incentives work And had if it's a problem then it's a problem with the entire we system and not just with one like with one people. you can't censor that way It's 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 a it's essentially this giant hypocrisy of censoring one thing while claiming censorship resistance and other things because it doesn't suit you. Or where your or like where your motives are aligned, it doesn't go with mm-hmm. your ideology, and that's not the way the system's supposed to work.
1: So if they remove the ASIC boost functionality, then their success decreases.
2: Oh, Most yeah. likely, yeah. Their well, their their profitability does. a mining I company wait, wait, their, their profitability does because, so They're only using less. They're using less energy to do the same thing, so they they probably get about the same rate of finding a block. But they use less energy to do so, so their profit increases.
1: I'm not sure. Well, about I understand what you're I saying. They're, but I think they're, if they're using ASIC, Go ahead. If they're using ASIC boost to gain a revenue advantage, then that advantage would be evident with discontinued use, though. Yeah. The The power savings is the way the advantage works, but the only reason they use it is to generate more revenue. Then,
2: well, you know, no, they wouldn't be generating more revenue. They'd just be making more profit because they're paying less cost.
1: Well, it be that's, a higher profit margin. That's generating yeah. more
2: revenue. Isn't it? No, it's no, not. It's not. No, it's not. My
0: bad. My bad.
2: <laughs> like my bad,
0: businessman.
2: <laughs> um, but that's one good for Jihan. He knows how to fabricate the hell out of some Asics. He's a great competitive if, miner. If that's the case, so
3: I don't, That's the thing. Like, if we don't case. know. We don't. We can't talk about it because we don't fucking know. It, it's not even worth discussing because there's no proof. You can't I... just say shit and then it become true. This is like this. This is Trump's America. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure we have got a president? Yeah, that, uh... I,
3: I, I immediately regret <laughs> saying that out loud because we do it regularly. <laughs> but it's that a world that the Bitcoin space is trying to become, right? Mm-hmm. It's an open and public network, and if you make claims like that, you need to back them up. Otherwise, they're they carry zero weight. And just me, because he's Gregory Maxwell, c two o blockstream, doesn't mean it should carry weight. It should. It should mean that he's the type of guy that does provide proof when saying shit like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Look at that tweet,
2: though. So, uh... are you still like when you when you hear things and you're seeing stuff like this going on in the community? Does it not re instill faith in how the actual like system of Bitcoin is so good and rigid and? Like because the system works the way it works, we've been able to provide the scrutiny to both sides of the argument. to To the the truth is gonna show eventually. Like that's to me, I think that's why I like Bitcoin. And I keep faith by my value in it because you know when it, when it's not making sense, somebody's making dollars, right? And I said it a couple weeks ago about bear saying some dumb shit and then like one of our listeners was like hey you shouldn't hate on bear and i was like i'm not hating on him i'm just stating a fact the dude is standing up saying a lot of dumb shit and and it doesn't make any sense and so then we have this jihad asic boost thing and then it just kind of feels like we're getting closer to the truth of why segwit can't get activated well what i feel
1: what I've learned from listening to Corey and you, and doing this podcast, and paying attention to the news—usually, the simplest answer is the correct one. And that's usually what I've learned. Mm. That's
3: a—I say that's a—that's a general truism of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, so th- that's the whole point thing? of the incentivization network. Like it, that, the the system has to work so that people who attack the system can't overthrow the system. If they can, then the system doesn't work you you have to assume that anyone who's mining is going to do everything that they possibly can to make the most money otherwise they wouldn't be mining if it's not profitable or they think they have some type of advantage unless we completely yeah. decentralize it so that it's just a it's a back end process but that's not ever i don't see that happening anytime soon
2: so uh definitely not in our lifetime
3: Oh. So. and i i'm for segwit still but Doing if if this is the case where it's doing backhanded means in order to get it through so that your ideology can be pushed forward, I th- I'm I'm staunchly against that.
2: That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that this uh, one Bitcoin has finally reached the point to where the human factor is undeniable. Um, it just is. Which is why I wish we had more of a Vitalik Buterin type. Uh, someone that you could refer to, but. Yeah, the, we I'm have that people G-on, like that
3: in the space. They just haven't been deified the way Vitalik
2: has. Maybe they need to be. Can somebody in our uh, listenership build a shrine to the Gavins and the G-Maxes and the Peter Wool Is it Wool or Wule or Wulele? Peter rule. Peter rule. Wheel. Peter Wheel. I don't know. He will not come on
0: our
3: show. It's, I think it's Wooly. I think that's the way he pronounced Wooly? it when I watched his Segwit talk.
2: Maybe it's because I can't get his name right. That's why. I'm not going on that damn show. Fuck those guys.
1: You can't even get Andreas' name right. He's been on
2: the show a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I got
1: Andreas' name. Did
2: I?
3: No. We, the Coin Telegraph wrong. article spelled it wrong.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: That's right. And then the Cointelegraph also said that we interviewed Nade Dog.
1: Yeah, fuck. That. I mean, <laughs> hey, dog. <laughs> oh, boy. We interviewed a dead man. And do we have, have any listeners uh, that attend the University of Miami? Because uh, I got some good news for you. Anyone want to take a guess?
2: I think they got a Bitcoin ATM. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I'm a genius. How did I know?
1: I Bitcoin is uh, installed at the Power Mart. Coral Gables, which is inside a mobile gas station food mart. So, uh, shout out to Athena Bitcoin opening up new locations. Where else do they have locations, Cello? Oh, they're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas.
3: Down, Ditto, Hill, hometown, you should look at the Cedar map Rizzle. so you can stop saying Texas cities.
2: Just
1: <laughs> everywhere in Texas.
2: Everywhere in Texas and other places, Athena all along the East Coast, man. Yeah, Uh, hold on. You keep talking cello. I'm gonna find these places.
1: All right, and then at the end, you can you can just rattle them off. Uh, Download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on that App Store, Google Play, because we're brought to you by them. They're the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, For specific locations, uh, you can wait and listen to D, or you can visit athenabitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by Athena, Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co.com. Co, the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. And Bitquick has been serving Bitcoin since 2013 where there's a bank, there's Bitquick.
2: You guys ready for this? Alright. In Florida, they're coming at you in Homestead, Florida, Hollywood, Florida, uh, Lev's Pawn Shop, the Sunoco really Gas name Station. Are really represent. to all of them? Really no, represent- nah, just a few of the hot, okay. the heavy hitters. I was about to say, I'm walking away if you're going to name all of them. Les's was Les's, Les's <laughs> oh, Pawn Shop. Way too many. Yeah. <laughs> In Georgia, at the Texaco, on 2920 Old Norcross Road, Duluth, Georgia, zip code 30096. Oh, yeah. Hold up. The Tobacco Shack, coming at you. Supported. Uh, not doing the address thing. Um, definitely closed on Sundays. Let's see in Missouri. You can find them at Fred's fuel and foods truck stop in the middle of Gilman Gilman. That's a place. All right. We're done with uh, this. We're done with this section. Wait, there's gotta be someone. <laughs> there's gotta be a heavy hitter. Let me look here. Oh, Oh, here's the actual Cedar Hill place, Corey, if you're interested. Do you know what the Cedar Hill Village Mall is?
3: Yeah, it's like the largest strip mall in Texas.
2: Oh, cool.
1: Well, they're there. 24 hours, baby. All
2: right, that's it, guys. Athena Bitcoin all over the place. Like, for real, get your Bitcoin.
1: You think someone went to the strip mall at like 4 a.m. to the Athena Bitcoin and got robbed, but the the robber's like, what? What about Bitcoin? Where's the money at? robbing someone for Bitcoin, and then he gets on ramped. He's like, well, I just stole all this new money. I have to learn about it. And then he gets on ramped. <laughs> I wonder if that has almost... actually happened.
2: Somebody stole a bunch of Bitcoin and they didn't know what to do with it?
1: Well, they, through... they bugged someone at an ATM Bitcoin. Is that like a Bitcoin really good like,
3: marketing strategy for ramping people? Is like you just look really, really, really like helpless or vulnerable at, <laughs> at an ATM? And they're like, give me all your money. It's like, it's Bitcoin. You want to learn how to use it?
2: <laughs> oh, you're going to need to learn some things before you rob me. I'll uh, happily <laughs> give you some money if you learn how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad, guys. So I just went to Athena Bitcoin's website, and at the very top, it says, Note Bitcoin network has a large, greater than 70,000 of unconfirmed transactions. This is affecting the confirmation times. Transactions will propagate when the network clears. You can network. About,
3: you can look at it. That's an old um, message. It's been there for a while. I'm curious if it's still relevant.
2: Then I need to make sure that that message is linked to the somebody that's broadcasting the mempool size. Athena, if you heard me, fix that. Okay. Yeah, I heard me. So
1: we got an interview coming up. Yep. We're about to lay it on y'all's ears. You kind of stole yeah. our idea, D, a consultancy that helps with, with blockchain-related issues. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that um, a lot of people
3: are doing that. <laughs> yeah. You are not yeah. the first to have this idea. Current <laughs> mempool size is around um, 20 million bytes. That would be 20 million bytes. It's not say oh, how many transactions, though.
2: Huh? Can't you just divide that by transaction size? There's many average different types transaction of transactions. Size. Yeah, I know, but this is there like somewhere this is average transaction size? You can just Don't worry about that later. Y'all keep talking. Okay, so cello, who? Who's Jeremy Epstein, and why should everybody listening right now love what they're about to hear
1: well sprinkler is a uh, it's a really big social media management company in Austin and he was the VP of marketing for like five years and he decided to switch gears and like do uh, a marketing company that is uh blockchain based or decentralized solutions and his whole purpose is to accelerate market awareness so He got in touch with Corey, and basically he's a guy who just loves connecting with people, and he uses technology to do it in smarter ways, so he can improve the exchange of value. So he's uh, fighting the good fight. We talk all about it in this interview. It's actually a really great interview. I really
3: enjoyed talking to him and, and looking forward to having him back on later on.
2: Cool. Well, without further ado, here's the interview. Here it is.
3: All right, so today we're here with Jeremy Epstein. Um, Why don't you just start us off by um, starting out where you came from? How'd you get into this space, and um, what brought you into um, blockchain or Bitcoin in general?
4: Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. Honor to uh, to be here. Um, So yeah, most recently I was head of marketing at an enterprise social media management company called Sprinkler, which I joined when there were thirty people. It was valued at twenty million dollars, and about. Four and a half years later, we had 1,400 people, and we were valued at $1.8 billion. So it was obviously a pretty crazy ride. Uh, certainly didn't do it all myself, but um, great experience. But I learned, you know, I love the, the startup phase. I love bringing disruptive technologies into the mainstream. And so I looked around, and I was like, all right, well, this is pretty mainstream now. What's the next kind of disruptive wave? And um, I've had Bitcoin now for about four years, but it was about 18 months ago where I was like, all right, well, what's this Bitcoin thing really? And I started reading about it, and then I started pulling it back, and I discovered blockchain. And I just had one of those, like, flutters in my heart that Mm -hmm. I've only had two other times professionally. Uh, Once in 1991 when I got email, so that tells you how old I am, and (laughs) sort of, and uh, I'm 44. And 2000 when I started blogging, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this blockchain thing is like a tsunami of disruption that's like fifty miles off the coast and basically no one knows it's coming. I was like, I gotta get ahead of this thing like and understand it. So I read like 80 white papers and what have you. It just it was crazy. And I just sort of saw a couple opportunities, particularly around sort of the marketing of decentralized technologies. Amazing engineering talent in this space, but the marketing kind of left a lot to be mm-hmm, Definitely. And I was like, maybe I can help some of these guys and understand the technology by working with them. So that's what I started doing, and that's where I am right now. The company's called Never Stop Marketing, which is not just a company, it's a way of life.
3: I like that. Actually, t- speaking towards your, like where you came from, one of our co-hosts, Cello, was a... Um, was a oftentimes contractor to Sprinkler and he was excited to get you on. And uh, was, he's like, this guy's amazing. I'm, I'd love to talk to him, but unfortunately well, he couldn't make it.
4: Well, we uh, appreciate all he did for the cause. Thank yeah.
3: you. Um, so that this, 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 I guess, trade of thought of that, the engineering talent in the blockchain space is, is magnificent, but the marketing around it is lackluster, if you will. This is something we've talked about quite a bit on our show. Cello being a marketing guy and a lot of the, I guess, VCs that we discuss really trying to bring the business aspect to the blockchain space. Like, what, what, in your opinion, what type of things are people missing out on? What are they, what do they generally don't get?
4: It's not that they don't get it necessarily. I think, well, I like to say we're all in marketing. It's just that some of us know it. Mm. And it's a question of bringing your inner marketer out. I mean if you're an engineer and you're like, Hey, I could build this thing. Most of the time, unless you're just like, Hey, this would be cool. Most of the time you're sort of, you intuitively understand there's some pain or friction in a business process. And you're like, Hey, I could do this better, but you just don't have the training to think about it as, okay, well, what exactly is the value proposition? Who is the intended customer? Because I've heard people say, well, this is for everybody. Well, no, it's it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And, okay, well, you know, since you, I'm a history major, right, and I sort of use the analogy of making a beach landing. Like, when the Allies were looking to invade Europe in World War II, they could have said, well, we're going to invade the entire coastline of France. Well, that's kind of hard to do because you're literally 2,000 miles wide and an inch deep. No, you sort of say, where's the best place to us for us to make our landing to eventually accomplish our goal of, you know, freeing the continent. Marketing is the same thing, especially when you're a startup. It's like, okay, where should we make our beach landing? We have to concentrate the bulk of our resources. And so if you are an app or you are a platform or whatever you are, you say, okay, who's that first customer? Who's that first group? What do we need to do to get that flywheel of momentum? Where do we start grabbing some ground? So, I like to differentiate between marketing with a capital M and marketing with a lowercase M. Lowercase M is what everybody knows, emails and brochures and websites and trade shows. That's nice and it's important. But the capital M of who's our customer, what's the value proposition, how do we talk to them, what are the words that they use, not that we use, we're not the customer, they Mm, are, Um, those types of things. And I think it's just a question of helping people extract that from their own brains and then just putting it into sort of the professional kind of format of, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and it's not that I know it all. It's just to have a little bit more training in this particular discipline. So that, that's really what I try to help people do.
3: Yeah, in that note, I feel like in the beginning of the movement of this space, it was we found this cool new technology. Where can we apply it? And it was almost a solution looking for a problem. And for mm-hmm. the capital M marketing I guess strategy, you really need to find – really really good questions before you start coming up with really good answers and and it's almost been backwards for a long time until i'd say relatively recently where people are starting to find out what problems there are and if blockchain applies to it instead of applying blockchain or bitcoin to every single thing and seeing if it works are you you seeing a trend like that as well
4: yeah i I think that's a very fair observation i mean i was on a a podcast the other day where some guy was joking, like, we're just slopping blockchain and everything, like, blockchain for diapers. Yeah. Like, I totally hear what you're saying. But, you know, I, I think you're right. Like, it, it is what's the problem, but, you know, there's also where is the opportunity to add value mm-hmm. that previously wasn't. And I think that's what's so exciting to me about this space at this particular, you know, moment in history. I, I sort of tell people, like, I just put up a post the other day, like, there are four phases of blockchain. You know, phase one is basically satoshi unleashes it into the wild right phase two is sort of the seven years after that where people are like okay there's this thing let's play around with it phase three is sort of where i think we are now which is you're seeing a lot of like banks and people sort of trying to say oh well we can use this to do a lot of back office efficiencies and cost reduction and, and that's fantastic and that's important but it's analogous to me of You know, what happened in the late 90s where everyone's focused on corporate intranets Mm -hmm. like, yeah, nice, cool, whatever. But the really sexy part is phase four, which is the things you could not possibly do before that you now can do. And I think that's where there's a real opportunity. So it's not just pain, it's new value creation. Like you could not do Uber or Seamless or Spotify or whatever 20 years ago. Now you can. So in a sense, yeah, there's a pain. I can't get and you know a taxi whenever I want it and be able to track it, or whatever. But it's also like, wow, here's a chance for people on both sides to get more value and like drivers to leverage their cars or whatever it is. So yeah, you're starting to see that. I think you're definitely seeing a more sophisticated approach. It's slow, but there's a realization, and you know, one of my clients was saying this to me the other day. He's like we built a really cool technology, but we kind of have to get to the point where it's actually adding value or solving people's problems, or else we're we're going to run out of time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah dude, that's that's called marketing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a, it's it's kind of a, a product of the ability to scale as well. Like if you go back to the internet intranet analogy that I've I've often used to explain what's going on or where we are, like intranets were essentially there for twofold reasons. One was the skepticism of the internet from private companies as well as the ability for the internet at that time to scale and Mm -hmm. we're seeing similar situations with private versus public blockchains so you can't have that utility on the public blockchain because it simply can't scale and but we're now just now starting to see this infrastructure start to be laid that allows for potential interoperability these two things to communicate and then you start to see these real maybe exponential technologies or applications that you couldn't dream of start to unfold like with Facebook and Uber and what have you. Uh, and it's really exciting to see or to think or to um, be aware of being in the space as these things start to unfold and knowing that you could potentially uh, talk to these people, be uh, start one of these things or get on board. But there's this Cambrian explosion of ideas and, and, you know, crappy ideas, startups, really good ideas. Where do you find the right sources to get information?
4: Yeah. You said you had, you just dropped so much value in that paragraph. I'm like, (laughs) uh, I'm about to get emotional. I mean, it was just it was really good. First of all, anyone who uses Cambrian Explosion is already somebody I love. So well done now. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's actually you added another. I mean, I think I knew it. You just peeled it back for me, which is I, I, I like the Internet intranet analogy. Obviously, you do as well. But I think you made a great point of like the, the ability to scale, like even if we wanted to just flip everything over to the public, you know, uh, permission list of blockchains, we couldn't even do it anyway. So I think that's a really great point. Like this thing's going to take a little bit of time. I do think it's going to t- it's going to happen a lot faster. Probably not as fast as I think or want it to, but probably faster than other people think. Most other people, maybe not you or people who listen to this podcast, but you know, I think that there's that. Um, but you know, yeah, there, you're totally right. Like there there is this there is going to be this this total um, explosion of of new value that that happens once we we uh, we sort of lay down that that groundwork, and I think. You're right. But how do you assess it? It's really interesting because if you look at like the whole ICO token market, like that's a perfect example of going back to internet one of like pets.com and Lycos yeah. and all of these things that were just like, what? What? these aren't businesses. But so, you know, it's a great question. And It's like, how do you assess it? So my approach is like, look, I tried to read these white papers. It's hard to keep up with all of them. I try to look at the business. Uh, is this like a real business? Like, is this really, really solving a problem or is this just like blockchain for diapers? And then the third thing I look at is like, what's the founding team really made of? You know, and, and I like, do they have experience? Are they just like 22-year-old guys who are really good at coding? Okay, maybe. And, and every now and then you'll get a Vitalik who just is the black swan kind of thing, and that's fine. But by and large, it's like, do you, have they really thought through sort of the, the business and, and where the value add? Is that an, it's hard. There are no models to really assess this, which is kind of what's exciting about the Wild West part of it. But also it's definitely a caveat emptor kind of thing. And, you know, the people are going to some people are going to get burned.
0: <laughs> oh, Hopefully sure. we're
4: not two of them. And it's going to happen because you don't really know. And things that look great sometimes aren't and things that look crappy turns out to be great. And, they, you know, there are people who are like the death of Amazon in 1998. Whoops. You know, <laughs>
3: And that's something I think we've, that's rung true from, we, we talked to a lot of VCs and angel investors on the show. And that's almost the unifying theme of something that is required for anything to get investment or someone's attention is the idea that there needs to be a good team that can handle a good question or a good solution to a good problem. Otherwise, it's just, it's just a good problem or a good question. And there's, I'd say, a lack of ability in the space compared to the uh, potential in the space there's a lot of there's a lot of really good people in space and it's drawing more and more and more but mm-hmm. there's a huge lack relative to the potential of change in this space how do we drive people to it because right now i'd say the low-hanging fruit of blockchain is being worked on diligently by really good minds And right. And in order to make a contribution, you need to have domain expertise of the problem you're solving as well as blockchain expertise.
4: Yeah, it's no, you make a lot of good points there. I mean, I think um, I guess the thing that 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 sort of I've noticed or I've observed or maybe I'm biased is that the people who um, are more likely to succeed, they, they come with. A determination but also a sense of humility you know they sort of say like there are the people who go out there like we're gonna change the world and I know everything that needs to get done and then there's the people who are like we're gonna change the world but I kind of know there are a lot of things I don't understand so I'm gonna go find the right people to help me and bring this in and realizing like you know you might be Steph Curry, but you still can't beat five other guys if you're playing one on five. <laughs> you need a team. You need to be able to pass or whatever. And so, like, I think it's – there's um, the guys, the great engineering talent who are drawn to this and, and see the opportunities are, are different than the great sort of leadership talent that says, wow, you know what? I have to bring in someone who understands enough about the technology so that he or she can – Make it can explain it, but also understands the marketing, or understands the sales, or understands the community, or whatever aspect it is. And then together, like like I have a client in um, they're based in Switzerland. They call the Firmat Project. They're working on this thing called the Internet of People, which is just so potentially transformative. And essentially, what they're doing is they're they're having this sort of complement to the traditional internet, which is very you know server DNS company centric. They're actually flipping it into a decentralized sort of profile server where it's person-centric, and what if in that shared social graph, that uh, company, that digital businesses will be able to build upon, um, is going to allow uh, companies to essentially um, break the, the curve of how uh, user cost and infrastructure costs tend to grow. So, like your company grows, you add a lot more of your Amazon, your AWS or mm-hmm. Azure servers or whatever. Now you're not going to do that because you're going to have this decentralized model with, and it's going to be you – know, you're basically going to be able to slice your costs and you're going to be able to have a totally new value creation that comes from being able to use an open social graph. So it's really, really cool. Now what Luis Molina, who's the guy who started this, is really, really good at is he's like, there's so much stuff I don't understand. And he's great at like finding people around the world who are like – Hey, man, I need some. That's he came to me. I didn't find him. He's like, I need a marketer. And he finds like I need an evangelist and I need this. And he starts going out. And he starts recruiting people. And then together he's building this like thing, which hopefully, you know, will be great. Um, but it's just a great example of building a community of complementary strengths. And he's so humble to realize he's like, this is going to succeed. But I know I can't do it by myself and I don't have all the answers. And that, I think, is sort of the model, especially when you're talking about decentralized. Like it's almost this decentralized approach to building it through the community. So I think those are the people that's it's almost like how do you pull back the founders team to see whether that person has that sense of humility? And sometimes that's why I defer a little bit to older uh, entrepreneurs is because they've been knocked around by life. Typically more than the younger ones. Not always, but you know, that just and, and you know, stereotypes work, but sometimes they're wrong and you have yeah. to be aware. Well,
3: it's something else that this this technology enables is this idea of creating new business models uh, based on peer-to-peer community, like being able to like like ha- having being able to build most everything in a decentralized manner while also including payments and potentially like digital reputation associated yeah. with these special skills allows you to build teams with particular skill sets catering to whatever you're trying to do in a much easier way. And for it, it kind of turns the way I think you build a business on its head and how you pay people and how you then grow your company, just like you were just giving an example with, with what you're working with. I don't, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's I don't know how to look at this or how to, how to move forward if I'm starting to build something new, but it's incredibly exciting because I don't know, like, do I just reach out and start build like a Slack channel and then build something from there? Do I do the traditional way of kind of gaining seed funding? Do I do open source crowdfunding? All these different opportunities of how you build your business and how then, how you then define trust within that company.
4: Is. You're totally right. I'm gonna just build on what you said because, like, you're right. It it's, it forces you to rethink, like, the entire sort of fundamental thoughts around what an organization is, right? Like, you know, it's it's interesting. I have a couple interns who are coming to work for me this summer, right? And I'm gonna work them to the bone, and they're gonna cry for their mothers. But we'll leave that aside. You know, <laughs> I told them that though, so it's okay. And um, And one of them, I was like, you know, guys, I work from home. We're a decentralized organization to begin with. I don't have any employees. I have a bunch of 1099s who I pull in for specific projects. I said, you're going to have to be comfortable working from home. And one of them was like, well, you know, I kind of want to see like an office environment. And I was like, you know, I feel like your parents who graduated high school before the internet was a thing, you know, did you a disservice by thinking work is a place you go to. In this world, work is something that comes to you, right? And so that model of the reason we had to go to offices was because you couldn't cost effectively communicate with a lot of people from your house, right? You had to go to a central location. Now, this morning alone, I've talked to people in like eight countries from my basement. Like We all do that every day. And it's like, but most of society hasn't caught up. So now let me next level this thing for you. So coming back again to this Internet of People project, they have something called contribution contracts. So basically, if I want to be a contributor to this project or one of the businesses that builds off, I actually submit a proposal to the community and I say, hey, I'm going to make this video or whatever it is. And I want to be paid, you know, 50 IOP tokens. Then the community and there are all these rules. The community gets to vote on whether I should or should not have that contract. And then the contract that says it's 3 months and i get paid out accordingly to however many blocks are issued or whatever but here's the super cool part let's say i suck let's say i don't deliver it you know what happens the same community that voted me in can withdraw their support and my contract's terminated now think about this we've all had crappy bosses in our lives Right, and you've had a situation where you and all your, I mean, you of course have an amazing boss. Let's just Absolutely stipulate there. that. Well, <laughs> probably the best boss on the planet is your boss. But most people have had bad bosses. You haven't because you don't know. I mean, you have another job just now. But the point is, you've had a situation where you and all your coworkers are like, God, our boss is a disaster. No one higher up appreciates what a train wreck is going on here. We're totally demoralized. Blah blah. blah. In a future. What happens if the the tokens that you apply to voting on your bosses or your team leaders, because it'll be decentralized and flat, your team leader's uh, contract, if you're like, you know what, this guy's an idiot or this woman's an idiot, uh, I'm withdrawing my tokens. And if enough of the people around it, it doesn't matter what the quote unquote CEO says, the contract gets terminated. So essentially the employees can fire the boss by withdrawing their support in this new model. Like mind blown, right? Yeah. That's going to happen. So what it does is a couple things. One is it forces everybody to focus on value up and down, whatever, not hierarchical, but across your organization. And I've already found this, like you have to really think about every interaction you have because now if you have a stake in my contract and I treat you like garbage, you know, I can't be rude to you. I have to be a nicer, more thoughtful person because – if you get picked off, you're like, fine, Jeremy, you're an idiot. I'm withdrawing my support. Fine, one I can handle, but a bunch of them. It's like real-time voting and reputation on my actual financial, you know, implications of my contract. Like, dude, that's crazy. But that's gonna that's what they're enabling, and that's gonna happen. You know, like think about uh, that. So this is so I mean, yell, I just get really excited. What can I say? <laughs> this plays
3: into something that I've been kind of thinking about quite a bit lately, and that is like money at its basic utility, is a form of communication. Digital money allows you to communicate globally as if people are locally. Now, right. because we've generalized or abstracted away um, kind of back to this general concept of communication with blockchain, we're now figuring out ways to properly incentivize people to communicate in that, so that they follow the rules or they do the right thing and that's what and your example is a shining example of, of this. We now have ways based on how we organize our structure, like infra, on the infrastructure level with blockchain to properly incentivize people to do the right thing. And that's all it is, is just allowing people to communicate at a very effective level.
4: Yeah, I, 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 think you, 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 you said it more succinctly and more beautifully than I did for sure. Like it is uh, doing the right thing, being incentivized. It's not, only, it's not only more efficient and effective, it's like more human. Like exactly. You're going to treat people nicer. Like You might be doing it for the wrong reason, which is you're not going to get paid, but who cares? Like at the yeah. end of the day, you're going to be a nicer person because the consequences of not being nice in a traditional environment are like, okay, whatever. I can't fire my boss. He's a jerk. In this is a new environment, like, uh, actually, I can fire my bass. I'm actually empowered, so don't be a jerk. Yeah. Great. It Everyone's nicer.
3: A lot, it puts a lot of power back to the people while, yeah. it, while s- simultaneously incentivizing good behavior of those people to interact with each other. Yeah. Which is just like it would be in the olden times when you, just, when you, just, you had smaller groups of people communicating in real life. We've lost that as the internet grew up. Mm -hmm. Because you can be an anonymous troll and not have any repercussions. This is bringing that back so that there are repercussions associated with being terrible on the Internet. And it's all based on how you communicate over the Internet. When you add value to that, it really really properly aligns the incentives to become a good human being.
4: Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I think when, when we first started to see the Internet come about and social came about, the idea that we were going back to this more personalized community like you know old villages that we all like our ancestors lived in or small towns or whatever like where everybody knew everybody like that held the promise of a greater sense of intimacy and security and obviously between trolls and fake news and everything like we've lost and that's why i think Tim berners lee was like hey let's re decentralize the internet um i think that's there and then when you add this value layer on top um you know, I, I think you're right. Actually, I would call if everyone's listening. I would or by now they're probably not because they're doing something else. But if they were listening, I would say one of the best, excuse me, TED Talks I saw on this is this guy, Johan Gavers. Um, it's uh you'll just sort G-E-V-E-R-S. And it's about like the decentralized society. And he talks about how this sort of hierarchical, siloed, big scale, impersonal is like a historical blip and that most of his human history was these small, tight relationships of trust and thoughtfulness and whatever, you know. And now for the last 150 years or whatever of industrialization, like we're living in this historical blip. Of course, we don't know anything different, so it just feels mm-hmm. normal. But he's like saying, no, we're going to go back to that and actually their benefits. Now we're just going to do it at global scale. Before, we could only do it in our small village because we didn't have technology. Now technologies enable us to have the benefits of the intimacy of the small town, quote unquote, environment trust and all that stuff, but do it globally. And it's, it's one of the most like mind blowing present. It's like 14 minutes or TED talk, whatever. Um, so I I loved it. And I think he's sort of echoing or you're echoing what he said. So I'm totally with you.
3: That plays into the conversation. We'll add it into the uh, show notes so people can, can watch that. I'll watch it myself after this interview, to be honest. As you should. (laughs) All right. Let's, uh, I guess let me even pivot into more about never stop marketing. What, what is it, what type of services are you offering and, and do you have any projects other than the ones you've recently talked about that you'd like to kind of put on front Street?
4: Yeah, sure. So I really kind of focus on, um, two big things and one sort of uh, third thing. So the first one, as I said, is I, I work as a virtual CMO, chief marketing officer for startups in this space. Um, and basically just help them, um, get their you know their marketing plan their strategy their their value process. just tighten it up and then help guide the execution i typically don't do the execution they'll have someone on staff but i'll sort of provide the the um you know a little bit of coaching and, and mentorship for for that person so um that's one and i i just love working with these guys because as you well know i mean these are people who are not encumbered by the way the world is, you know, quote unquote, supposed to work. Like they're thinking down the path. And it's just, it's just, it keeps me young. Like I remember when I was in my twenties, I was like, God, all these, you know, 40, 50 year old people, like they have all this experience, but they're not listening to me about the internet. And I was like, when I'm going to be in my forties, I don't want to be the guy who's just like, well, I have experience, you know, you're talking about. And I'm like, look, experience is great, but it can also be a huge blinder for you, which is, oh, well, it's never happened before, so it's not going to happen again. Well, that's silly, like clearly. So what's great about working with these entrepreneurs is like they're forcing me and I want to be forced to rethink. So sort of it's almost like R&D that I get paid for and I get to have fun. So that's sort of group one. The second thing I do is because I've been working in sort of the enterprise world for a long time is I take this and I go to enterprise audiences. Like I, I do a lot of speaking and I do workshops with larger companies and I'm like, all right. I mean, basically it's like you missed the internet in 93. You missed social in 2006. You may not like baseball, but you understand what happens when there are three strikes. Like <laughs> <you>
0: know,
4: this, <laughs> or if you're a history buff, the other one I'll say is like, look, the Germanic tribes are way out on the boundaries of your empire right now. They don't have their act together just yet, but eventually they're going to come in and lay waste to Rome. Before they get here, you may want to get ready for them. And like, <laughs> you know, 95% of the people aren't going to listen because big companies are just too slowed and whatever. But, hey, I'm going to try to help the 5% that are ready to listen and we're going to go do that. So those are sort of the two big um, things of do. The third thing that I pursue sort of as an intellectual hobby, if you will, is as a marketer, Um, There's some things that are eternal about marketing. You have to know the customer. You have to understand the customer like you you have to sort of look for new. You have to position yourself. Those are eternal. But the function of marketing evolves as new waves of technology disruption arrive. So good example is like when social became you started to come on. I started to ask myself, well, how does marketing change now that they're not three television channels and, you know, five radio stations, whatever. Now everybody walks around with their own broadcast and they're all talking to each other anytime for free. Well, that changes the equation because now brands can't lie. Like you, everybody knows real time or you give a bad experience, you know, they tweet out from United mm-hmm. Airlines or whoever. So that changes the game for brands. So now I'm asking the same question as like, okay, what happens in a world where blockchains are everywhere? You know, what happens where you know, identity is sovereign. So your your CRM database goes away. Like, that's a given of modern marketing that could go away if I control my identity and you don't have access to it unless I give you permission and I can take it away. So I'm really starting to think about, like, what are the implications to the function of marketing and the role of the marketer in a world uh, of blockchain? But that's sort of more like three to five years down the road I'm thinking about. So for me, it's the virtual CMO for the startup's Helping enterprises try to get their head around this disruption and start to think about it before it's you know too late. Um, those are sort of the two big things that we do at uh, Never Stop Marketing.
3: That's perfect. I, I think that's a great way to wrap this episode up. Um, one more question, though. Uh, something we ask all of our guests: Can you describe blockchain in ten words or less?
4: At its can I?
3: Oh, <laughs> that's a rough one.
4: Distributed database with consensus about the information about the accurate information therein. That's pretty good. That's, that's nine.
3: That's pretty good. That's a good one, and it's a, it's it's, it's <laughs> oh, a tough one. quite generalized and applies to everything you want to do. It's it's a we always try to figure out where people come from. I think making people abstract away all the details gives you yeah. an idea of how they really view the space or what their lens is on the entire space. And uh, we've always liked asking that question.
4: Yeah. I'll actually give you a link if you want to post this in the, in the show notes. Um, I call it the blockchain tech stack. Cause at the, at the bottom is you just have the blockchain. I've yeah, read that. That's a good oh, one. I'm touched. Um, and then it's the next couple layers where things start getting really interesting. And I think like you don't want to confuse like blockchain isn't smart contracts. Blockchains enable smart contracts. And so I think you want to help extract that. So people are like, oh, it's not blockchain doesn't do everything. It's just fundamentally rethinking the database. And then you can start building things and layers on top of that. So that's how I'm thinking about it. But anyway, but that's it. So thank you, that's man. That's great.
3: How can, uh, how can our guests reach you if they'd like to reach out?
4: Yeah, so neverstopmarketing.com is always good. Um, you can go from there. i uh, my Twitter, my personal Twitter is jer979. The number that goes back like 25 years. It's a Story for another day. And um, yeah, I think in LinkedIn you can find me, what have you. But those are probably the best ways to uh, to track me down. I'm always interested in hearing what people are up to and you know getting new insights and having conversations. So uh, anybody happy to reach out.
3: For, thanks a lot for coming on, and I uh, hope to hear from you soon again.
4: Thanks, man.
2: Thanks for having me. And that was the interview with Jeremy Epstein. Steen, Steen, right? Jeremy Epstein. 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 Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, very exciting when people are working in different disciplines and ended up getting very exciting about blockchain. And um, we're just going to say blockchain and go ahead with it, even though Bitcoin's the godfather of all this. It does seem like things are getting a lot more robust than Bitcoin as of late, um, uh, which, is not, which is not a bad thing. Right? I think it's a very good thing to have a robust industry. I don't know. I think it's a pretty
3: good term to be honest. I've, I, it's starting to grow on me. It's literally explains what it is, like the data structure. And then the underlying mechanism for all of the different types of blockchain implementations is mm-hmm. basically the blockchain. The actual data structure. And then you have different consensus, different ways of creating a blockchain, but it's a chain of blocks. I feel like that's a pretty good moniker for what the technology is doing. I mean, it doesn't really portray the idea of consensus around a blockchain and how you come to agree on a single version of a blockchain, which is uh, probably the, the the more innovative part or important mm-hmm. part. But so what? It's, it's infrastructure technology. Does it need to portray that?
2: Yeah. The sad thing is, is that like that that whole game changing thing that brought me in with Bitcoin. I definitely feel maybe I'm just a, like a like a maybe I'm approaching OG status. Like I've been through enough roller coaster price changes. I've been through enough trauma that is just like, eh. There's a lot of people that just aren't gonna give a damn about what I gave a damn about when it comes to you know decentralized power and not needing a middleman, so taking some power away from the banks and all that stuff, it's just that's. That's like the a very. Uh, what do you want to say? Like a outer rim thinking. I see it. I, I see it a slightly like. different way. Um,
3: I think in the short term, people aren't going to care in the long term, we're going to be. Those guys are like, you were in it that early. Because everyone's going to know about it. It's going to be the back end of how pretty much everything works. They're going to be using it without knowing they're using it. That's going to be how things operate. And how the world communicates. And transfers value. And they're going to be like. You had a podcast talking about Bitcoin. Like way back then. And we're going to be like. Yeah we've been in the space that long. We're OGs. Like Because back then, like that far forward. We're going to be OGs. Right now it's just so new that no one gives a shit. It's...
2: <laughs> we're, we're probably the only podcast that says OG on a weekly basis. <laughs> we're OGs in this space. In fact, if I ever make it out to a conference cuz people will not know who I am, I'll probably just get a t-shirt that says I'm an OG. That's it. Bitcoin OG. TVP Bitcoin OG. Well, um yeah, I don't think we had anything pressing to talk
1: about. Uh so we can wrap. You guys want to wrap? Yeah. Let me tell these people about the Equibit Development Corporation. Oh, yeah. Better known as EDC. It's uh, They're building several applications that are decentralizing the securities industry. The securities industry is just like the banking industry. They're filled with centralized intermediaries. They clear and sell transactions. Uh, they handle shareholder communications. And uh, other labor intensive work. Uh, these expensive tasks can now be replaced with peer to peer technologies that brings the cost of performing this work down dramatically. So, issuing companies, dealers, investors, they will all benefit significantly from cutting away this part of their overhead. So, you know, this is very, very important. So, you need to visit equibit.org, sign up for that newsletter. They're planning a second ICO with new terms soon. Uh, details pending and uh shout out to Chris Horlacher and uh, Nathan Wozniak. Good people, good company.
3: A shout You nice. got the white paper. ICO.equipit.org explains what they're doing.
2: Well, um, if that's it, uh, you guys can find us at, uh, on the bitcoinpodcast.com <laughs> I don't know what happened to <laughs> my brain right there. Like, <laughs> Words just uh, stop. I couldn't grab any words uh, out of all of the words. <laughs> you can find us on thebitcoinpodcast.com. dot uh, com. All of the links to all of our things are there as well. We have our blog, uh, medium dot com slash bitcoin podcast. Uh, you can find our Slack there. If you hit the Slack tab, you can join our Slack. Uh, we have all sorts of conversations stemming from. Uh, I'll just flat out say it was the weirdest one of this week was, would you pay for sex? I think that's what the conversation was for like two days in a random Slack. If
1: you were, and we were if, like, if you were a billionaire, would you spend $2.5 million? And it was a resounding no, except for Elias.
2: <laughs> except for oh, one dude who was like, <laughs> yeah. if, if, I, if I were a occlusive billionaire, I don't see it's that bad. I don't see it's that bad. So that was very funny. Um, we, we also like, talk we like about talk extension
3: about. blocks and current proposals of how we to scale the Bitcoin network. So it it goes.
2: Yeah, we, we we talk about a wide range of things. It's really developing into a pretty great community. On the daily, you'll find conversation that you can probably dive into. So go ahead and join our Slack. and And then if you find that you're just that engaged and you want to help us with producing the show in some way, you can reach out to us as well. And then we can help make this show better and keep growing it from what it was to what it is. And therefore, all that good stuff. Hoorah. So the Twitter, uh, Cello runs the Twitter. He'll tweet you if you tweet at him, uh, at the BTC podcast on Twitter. Um, What what else do we do? We do things. We sell shirts, right? If you want a shirt, ask us in the Slack and we'll send you a shirt. Yeah, first too. Bitcoin.
3: You're on purse? We'll yeah. Hop, hop, it up, hop on our store on purse and you can buy them there. Get your
2: shit with yeah, purse. We'll get your shit with purse. Sells the purse. Hats purse coming hat soon. We, hats. we got hats. That's very true. Um, We are asking the community if you know anybody that has a hardware wallet and wants to give one away for free, a new one to us, like yeah. Ledger. <laughs> or,
1: or treasure,
2: and they and they want to just give us one, and we can review it on the show, and let you guys know what we think about it. Or keep key. Um, actually, I ha- I have a keep key, but you can give me another free one. That'd be cool.
1: Um, <laughs> so, uh, shout yeah. out to J- Janice, our new community manager.
2: Yep. So, Janice is going to be the new community manager, and she's going to be in the Slack. Uh, slacking off. Hey Coupon. cool fun see what you did there.
1: <laughs> it, br- it brings our female total in our Slack to four women.
2: Four women and what eighty something? Do like you yeah. four <laughs>
1: four active women?
3: I mean there's a bunch yeah. in there that just, just signed up one day. They'd never mm-hmm. said anything but then in their previous.
2: When guests. we made like one joke, like cause it's all right, ladies. I'm
1: just gonna be for real, and stay I'm gonna, away from the random channel. You'll be alright.
2: Yeah, stay far away from that random channel because it gets kind of goony in there. Like, it gets it gets a little goonish in there from time to time. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: it's about the sound. That's the, that's the appropriate sound of the random channel.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Anyways. um... Shit. Gets, gets Ken
1: Kadippy in there.
2: Yep. Real quick too. Like on a Tuesday at two o'clock, you get in the rent and and you're like, whoa! Yeah. Like, what is going on in here? Anyways, uh you guys have a good one and thanks for listening. Uh play the outro.